Welcome to Witchlit, a place to talk about the craft of writing and writing the craft. I'm your host, Victoria Rashke, author, publisher, witch, and nosy Scorpio. Kira Rosemary is a writer and artist from Kentucky, currently living in South Florida. Her debut chapbook, Moon Season, was published by Bottle Cat Press in December 2022. Kira's writing has also been featured in the Dilly Down Review, Cathexas Northwest Press, and The Right Launch. You can find her on Instagram at a busy witch. Kira Rosemary, welcome to Witchlet. Thank you. I'm happy to be on. I am excited to have you on. I'm excited to talk to a poet. Um, uh, Before we get into your book and writing poetry and all that good stuff, our first question for everybody on the show is why write in this, you know, time when people say the book is dead, you know, (laughs) why continue to write? Why write poetry? Why write books? It's probably been said before, but I feel like I write because I have to. It's one of those things where my, how I see the world comes to me through words and they kind of get stuck in here until I get them out and Mm -hmm. actually write them down. And it helps me process things a lot better and connect with people and kind of feel like I'm leaving a mark, even if it's just in my journal, I'm, I'm leaving some sort of mark that someone can find later. There's proof that I've been here. And that I've experienced things. Yeah, I like that. I don't. I don't know that anyone has said have to, has talked about proof that you've been here. I think that might be a new one. Um, but I agree. Like, I think there is something about leaving breadcrumbs that is kind of remarkable about writing. Uh, yeah. So, do you mostly write poetry, or do you write other stuff as well? I mostly write poetry. I think I've always enjoyed writing in short bursts so that format really fits Mm -hmm. um and the sounds of words so putting these different phrases together is almost like reading a song so I um I like doing that because it (laughs) lets my brain pay attention to these little things at a time Mm -hmm. in ways that are um, kind of interesting to listen to or interesting to repeat. And I love fiction as well. And I have written some short stories and I have, as I feel like every writer has like five ideas for novels up there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when it comes to getting the time to get things out, it's poetry that comes first. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, do you like, so when you get an idea, like when I wrote poetry more frequently, like sometimes when the idea comes, it just kind of announces it's a poem rather than this is a line from something else. Is that how it works for you? Yes. I love that you put it that way too, because there's definitely been, been times where I've thought of a phrase or a line and thought this is part of a bigger story, but then there's others where I see it almost as a snapshot of something you're feeling or seeing in the moment. And it's become like this phrase in your head has become a way to describe one moment or one feeling that 
you know that others have probably felt too, but maybe you haven't put into words yet. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, I love that idea of it announcing itself because it definitely does. You see something, hear something, think something, and it's like that needs to go into a stanza right now. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you a notebook person? Do you walk around with a notebook? Yeah, I have so many. <laughs> so it's like some are blank, some have like three pages filled out, some are full. Uh, so it's just like, which purse am I putting the notebook in today? Yes. And a notes app person for sure. I have so many random things in my phone's notes app that I look back and I'm like, what was I even thinking? But at least I have this little repository. Yes. I have on occasion used like the dictate on notes, like in the middle of the night, I'll wake up and I'm like, oh, I have to get this down. And then I look at it the next morning and I was like, why was that important? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely done that. It's like, it sounded really brilliant at two in the morning at, you know, in the light of day, I'm like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> so many things sound brilliant at two in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious. So you published poems before in, in, you know, reviews and anthologies and stuff. So how did the chat book come about? The chat book came about because I had been saving a lot of these published poems for a long time, or I would write something and didn't feel like it fit with other submissions. And I also did a challenge um, online. It's the Tupelo, I think I'm saying that right, um, 30-30 challenge for that small press. So they, uh, you like apply to do a poem every single day for a month, mm-hmm. which was so much harder than I anticipated it being. Um, but I wrote during, and I think I was even one off because it was February. So I was, I was saved by a couple poems. It wasn't a true 30-30 project. Um, but I wrote like 28 poems that month. And so many felt like they were coming from this witchy place and like they came together. Um, and I felt like, you know, there's something here that fits. There's a puzzle that I need to put together. Mm-hmm. So it used to be longer because I had more old poems in there, more poems from that project, more that I had done recently. And then it still felt off. So I ended up condensing it to be even smaller to what it is today um, because I felt it went with the, that theme of being both based on seasons and on moon phases. And so finally, after all of these like backlog poems and the project poems and some new ones. I had something that really felt like a collection for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, there's something about like it, books of poetry, you know, like a full length book of poetry, whatever you want to call that in a chat book. Um, that, and I'm going to date myself is like listening to an album all the way through mm-hmm. because there's just this, like how the, poems follow from each other you know that I guess the story they're telling all the way through the book right and I I love that I love the themes in your book that it's both you know like um like you said that the poems are like a moon phase but they're also set within winter spring summer and fall and and I also thought it was interesting you started with winter 
you know, kind of in this fallow, in the fallow season, right? Which I don't know, for some reason for me, like as a writer, I was like, no, I probably would have started with winter too. Because it's kind of like when things are baking in my brain, right? It's this like fallow period. So I, yeah. thought that, I just thought it was really interesting that it started with winter. So, no, I, um, I feel like that's a really good description of it, that that's, that's when things are baking. Um, because it started there because I, I think so much of my writing and creativity starts when I've been feeling isolated or kind of in this winter mood. What's funny is I think after, it was after I wrote this, I think that I read the book Wintering by Catherine May, which is all about accepting periods of being in a personal winter Mm -hmm. of like having time to rest and retreat and how that's part of nature. And it's okay, even in our modern busy society, to do that yourself. And so, yeah, so the idea of having it start in the winter when I'd be having those feelings of like isolation or what's going to happen in this new year or just being inside and letting ideas ruminate and not necessarily even doing anything about it until the spring. It's just creative season to start it. Yeah, I am. I have not read Catherine May's book yet, but I, for research for another project, I've been reading Winters in the World, which is like a book about the Anglo-Saxon year and kind of how the Anglo-Saxons saw the year and how you weren't, it wasn't how old are you? It's how many winters have you been in the world? Because winter was, horrible and harsh and people died, you know, like it was how many times have you survived that part of the cycle? And I, you know, I think about it and it, it, you know, obviously it depends on where you are. Winters in California and winters in Florida are not horrific by any stretch, but you know, other places in the world, winter is, is truly a season to survive. And, and I just, I just think about that. It, you know, I love this idea of talking about a personal winter and having that and because I do think we don't give our time, our space to retreat. No. And we really don't. I mean, our culture just doesn't allow for that. There yeah. is no downtime in the winter. So. Not at all. Even with, you know, daylight savings time, it's like, what does that really do? But, um, <laughs> it's also a part of writing this book for me too, and for basing it off of seasons was me missing seasons <laughs> because... I was raised in Kentucky. I went to college in Indiana. I'd always had a wide range of seasons um, and got to see the leaves change and had the crappy winter days falling on ice and the summer days where it feels like your face is melting off. (laughs) And then I moved to Florida and realized just how much of this kind of wintering process we're talking about was seasonally triggered. It really threw me off to not have these seasons kind of tell my body and my mind, like, this is the time for you to feel this way, or this is a time for more rest, or this is, you know, a time for you to read more or something, you know, that was kind of triggered off these seasons that I associated with these different times of the year. And then for it just to be hot and humid all the time. 
And then the only thing different is the sun was really, really odd for me. So some of these poems are just kind of exploring that, either talking about seasons in this wistful way because I really, truly miss them or trying to get to know the place where I am now, where it's just so different from where I grew up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I'm, I, I've been in California for two years from East Tennessee, which also is a Four Seasons place. And um, yeah, it's been a weird adjustment. Like I'm just starting to learn after two cycles, like what the season means here. And it's like, you know, it's a lot like Florida, like it's not the leaves change, you know, and, and that there are a few trees that change, but not many. And I'm always mm-hmm. shocked when I see them. It's really lovely. But um, yeah, it's like, you know, is it raining? Is it not raining? You know, those are the things to look for. Like, what's blooming? Because something is blooming all the time, but what's blooming now? You know, like it, it's a yeah. whole different, it's a whole different way to look at things. And, um, and I don't know. Yeah, I too miss four seasons. <laughs> so. Well, so much of uh, American witchcraft is based on like Wicca and British witchcraft. And so much of that is based off of having all those four seasons. Mm-hmm. So um, there's another witch I follow. I think her account is simply witched on Instagram, but she also lives in Florida and has, has made posts about like, how do I celebrate these, these solar holidays when the seasons don't really feel like they're changing to me. Um, and that's something I'm definitely still figuring out too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and I feel like it's a, it's a topic that gets discussed a lot right now too. Like, I think a lot of people are, are kind of think, wait, this isn't working. This like eight wheels of the year pie, those my world doesn't match <laughs> the way that pie is cut up. So I think, yeah, it is pretty, I think it's a topical thing, but I'm curious too, like um, in writing the poems and in your writing in general, like is witchcraft always a big theme or was it kind of more for like this particular collection with the challenge and all that? Like how did, how did those things weave for you, I guess? I've been thinking about this the last few days because I knew this would (laughs) ask me. Um, And I thought, you know how we started this with the question of why write? And I said, I I felt like I had to. Well, for me, it was kind of the same thing with witchcraft. It felt like something that came really natural to me the interest in it and learning about it was so second nature no pun intended (laughs) that um they just kind of converged in that I feel like I must do them both Mm -hmm. and when looking at these like spells for teens books when you're when you're younger a ton of the um, phrases they have are these little rhyming poems and sometimes that's in not just spells for teens but spells for everybody um and so to me it's like if you come up with a poem it can almost be like an incantation and you're you're leaving a reader and yourself with a feeling that they didn't have before So it's this act of putting someone 
in a certain headspace with certain thoughts, certain feelings that weren't there, which is kind of magic. Um, so I must do them both. And they come together by both basically being forms of magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree that poetry is magic all, all by itself, whether you believe in witchcraft or not. I'm, <laughs> it's, it's transportative in that way. And I, you know, and I think there is something you mentioned thoroughly about just the sound of words and the power of words themselves and like how you arrange them in those in poetic phrasing rather than, you know, prose phrasing, like it just, there's, there's magic there. I mean, there's really, like, there's probably a better way to say it, but that's what I'm going to say right now. Um, so who would you say like, are your influences as a poet, like, and, and not necessarily poets, but like where, who influences your writing, you think? I've been thinking about this a lot too, because I think it, it so depends because I love like Mary Oliver's poetry, which is so deeply rooted in nature. Um, and the same thing with Emily Dickinson's old poems. I had my old book of all like her whole anthology with like mm-hmm. sticky notes on every every other page um but when it comes to because I tried to think was there like a direct kind of witchy poet that I had leaned on when getting inspiration and I'm finding more now um but before I think it was mostly poets who wrote specifically about little little moments in nature mm-hmm. um, like Mary Oliver and like Emily Dickinson and now I am um, kind of trying to find who is making that a little bit more witchy so if you have any recommendations I'll, I'll have to ponder them. I'll have to ponder on it although I always and I'm not I can't remember when her last book came out but I always read Marie Howe is very witchy. Mm-hmm. Like her poems to me are always very witchy. I can't think of the name of it. The one with the scissors when the snow melts and the lawn is full of like scissors. <laughs> like that Sounds one's me. Yeah. Always has just kind of witchy. I don't know. Just kind of sits with me. Um, I also just read um, Appalachian Elegy by Bell Hooks. Mm -hmm. which is a very short collection and very rooted in place. And she's also from Kentucky, but much further south than where I am from. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really amazing. And also just nice to read because it kind of transported me back to environments that I am familiar with, more familiar with and understand. So um, it was very connected to not only nature, but specifically a place that I, that I knew and missed. Mm-hmm. So that one was um, yeah. a great read recently. Uh, and I think those writers of place, um, like uh, uh, for example, because I lived in Knoxville and, and went to school in Knoxville and grew up close to Knoxville, like Nikki, Gio- Nikki Giovanni comes to mind because she's such a writer of place too. And um, like, I think even though, obviously these people would not call themselves witches or think that they're writing witchcraft, but I think there is something evocative about those writers of place, because like you said, it's these tiny snapshots of things 
that remind me of how witchcraft works, I guess. And that idea of bioregionalism too, of like being so entrenched in where, in where you live. Yeah. And I know before we started, I was talking about Pam Grossman's Waking the Witch and how, how much I loved it, first of all. Um, but the essays she has in that book talk so much about how our culture uses the witch as an archetype mm-hmm. for certain things. So even if some people aren't saying that they're, they're witches or interested in the craft or the occult or whatever, um, there's so many poems that draw on the idea of the witch as an archetype and use those words without really having that direct connection. So I, I, it's always interesting to see those too. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I feel like I don't want to put you on the spot, but I was curious if you would like to read one of the poems from the book. Sure. I have, Oh, let me see. do this one because it's called this one is in what season is this one in this one is in spring and put it under the first quarter moon phase and it's called first quarter so i picked it because it's very very related to the moon first quarter back stretching to a crescent a concave inhalation i'm waning while she's waxing waking just to sleep again Light barely filters through the window, prancing off of tiny pricks of dust I've neglected to sweep away. The breeze didn't brush my skin yesterday and I didn't open my door to it and the wild is just something out there. First quarter and already I feel like the switch has flipped. Something isn't the same, but neither is anything new. Dress me in scents of lilac, moisturizing creams and soft hairy cloth, clean sheets and lavender, feelings of well enough. I'll bear it all like a costume and hibernate through a photo shoot, a false life through pictures snapped across indoor windows. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, yeah, I, I, it's funny you picked that one. That was one of the ones I really enjoyed. Um, that and the shedding about the crabs, the crab one. Oh, really. I had a note on that one too. Yeah. Um, but I love this image of that, that that poem evokes of this, like knowing that time is passing and yet removing yourself from it. Like, I mean, to me, that really speaks of that like early spring part when you're, you're not really done hibernating and things haven't really started yet, which is such an in bulk kind of feeling, right? Especially if you live somewhere yes. where in February it's deep winter still. <laughs> so yeah, no, I really, I, I just love this idea of setting the poems in two sections that way of, of the moon phase in the season. Like, I think it just evokes something deeper in them individually. And I just, I don't know. Like I went back and read several of them after I finished the first time and really thought about like where they were in the book. And I was like, yeah, no, this is cool. <laughs> so, Thank you. So what is, what is, what are you working on these days? Like what does writing look like for you now? I am putting together um, more witchy theme poems, um, but this one is much more deliberate mm-hmm. 
this kind of came together, like I said, out of collections that I already had or like had been working on and then found the puzzle pieces fit together in a certain way. And what I'm working on now is much more roadmapped. Mm-hmm. I have a better idea of what I want to do with it and um, how I want it to come out. And I say it's witchy because part of it is taking that archetype, the cultural archetype of the witch that we were discussing and exploring it in multiple different ways and through a few different lenses. So nothing's really set in stone right now, but I have like some sections planned out that have to do specifically with place, like we were talking about Mm -hmm. and how you draw power from place and people associate certain powers and certain feminine powers with place. Um, And another is power and how that can be viewed differently depending on where you are, what you're saying. Um, So for example, there's one I recently wrote, um, which I have submitted a few places already. So I'm not, I'm not going to read it until it's all nice and official, but um, it's about the water, the element of water and the way witchcraft and femininity has been associated with it over time um, and how so often we find these characters, these powerful female characters in the water. And Mm -hmm. I mentioned like the Lady of the Lake or um, Grendel, like the big, the big baddie from Beowulf, (laughs) which um, I had also just recently read very randomly. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mentioned some like historical figures and some uh, women from literature that all have this kind of sorceress kind of vibe and all come from the water. So that's uh, one example of what I'm working on right now. And then it not only goes a little more research-based, a little bit more into the history, into literature, but also personally into what it means for me to identify as a witch and be in my own power, whether that's witchcraft related or not. Um, and in the section on on power, I know there's one that I'm working on that's about this moment I had when I was little and we went to a castle in Ohio, which sounds really weird, but it's there. <laughs> um, it's the work of like one guy and his community who made a like scale model of a particular castle in France or something in this town in Ohio that was near us. And they have like little medieval tchotchkes for sale. And so I'm getting, I'm there with my dad when I'm little and I'm getting a little pewter figurine of a queen. And the guy behind the counter is like, why do the little girls always like the queens? They didn't even have the power. And I, I was like seven and so offended. <laughs> so my dad just looks at me and is like, oh. And I was like, well, they had the power when the king was a hill away. Like, I didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but capturing little moments like that is part of what I'm working towards. So bringing together these personal little moments that I feel like 
you know, not everybody's experienced having some weird sexist thing said to you at a little castle in Ohio, but every little girl has had something said to them where they thought that was a little weird mm-hmm. and I didn't like it. And it, yeah. it spoke to how I feel about my power. So taking those moments and connecting them to both personal and the bigger history of witchcraft and literature together. Yeah. And it immediately made me think too, of like how culturally we just denigrate anything girls and teenage girls like Mm -hmm. it gets silly and not serious and all this. And I, I'm pretty sure if you told Elizabeth the first that the queen didn't have any power, she'd have your head cut off. Um, (laughs) But sometimes I think that's how uh, we went under the radar. Like, I don't know when you got into witchcraft or just witchy stuff in general, but I feel like I could get those books out from the library of like going back to the spells for teens or like, uh, I think there was even one that was this bright green with like groovy little flowers. And it was like spells for preteens, um, even stuff like that. And I feel like people look at it and see that it's girly aimed toward younger girls. And they think, oh, whatever. Harmless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And little did they know. Um, no, I was I was a little bit older. I was an older teenager, mostly like right, like 18, 19 when I started college. So it was really, I mean, I had always been interested in like the occult. Like I always joke that like the time life ancient mysteries books were like my gateway into the occult um, as a kid. Cause I was just always fascinated with that stuff. And then, um, but yeah, it did. It, it was at in the, I guess that time that late eighties, early nineties, there was a lot of like women's spirituality that was kind of wrapped up in it. So mm-hmm. kind of this new age women's spirituality. So yeah, it did kind of get dismissed. It's like this thing, you know, like weird, crunchy granola girls are into. And um I mean, that wasn't what I was experiencing, but that's what people thought about it. So they kind of just left me alone about it. But yeah, I think you're right. It is a way to be under the radar about it. Yeah, it's getting, I think it's still somewhat the same way now, but especially because it's getting more popular and more pop culturally, um, just everywhere that, you know, now it's down to the crystal girlies just okay they're just doing their crystal girly thing it's fine or astrology or you know whatever people feel like you know bashing that day yeah or oh those tarot girls yeah which i'm like "Mm, you're missing out you're missing out but i do think it is i don't know i mean i i I thought about this a lot mostly because i was thinking about like who's been on the show like i was having this conversation with my partner and i was like this is mostly women and the, uh, most of the men, not all, and I, I don't want anyone to make assumptions about anybody who's been on the show, but most of the men who've been on the show are gay men. And, you know, a lot of the men and women who've been on the show are queer in some way. And like, I am just like, yeah, it is kind of a refuge too, like it, from the bullshit patriarchy stuff in the mainstream. It's a little bit of a refuge from all that. So. Yeah, definitely. And I think in that way, it, intersects with poetry because Mm -hmm. I think if you go to any poetry group it's it's a similar breakdown it's you know a lot of women a lot of marginalized groups 
being able to be with other creative people and express what they want to express. Yeah. Although like the witchcraft space, I think a lot of who gets published in poetry are men or traditionally have been men. Mm-hmm. And that's true in the witchcraft space too. And I think, um, I know Thorne Mooney has spoken about this on her channel several times about who do we cite, you know, in these witchcraft books is it's largely men because that's who got the early books published, right? Or the serious books are books by men that get cited. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, like all the Scott Cunningham books, which I love. But like- yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I always think of Scott as, you know, like that was the door I walked through because that was the time I came to witchcraft. And so, you know, I walked mm-hmm. through Scott's books to get here. And yeah, I have a couple myself. Yeah. So like, I don't, and um, I think I've said this talking with somebody, I can't remember if it was like in real life or on the show, which is probably bad, <laughs> but that, you know, had Scott Cunningham lived like, I'm sure he also would have evolved. Like, yes, you know, like witchcraft has evolved since Scott was writing his books. And I think had he lived, he probably would have too. So like, I kind of, I don't, I don't really join people beating up on Scott Cunningham because I just don't think it serves a purpose, <laughs> but no, I don't know. I like to look at all the resources we have available and see you know one how it feels to you but also Mm -hmm. know who like you said who are we citing and Mm -hmm. who are they citing yeah that's one thing i've been really nerding out about lately is the um quote unquote real history of some of these practices that everybody says well this is ancient this is you know been practiced forever and this is what it was called and this is what they did and when I was younger, I totally believed that. I was like, mm-hmm. yes, they've been hiding this from us. The ancient truths are out there. And having an interest like that can be good. Um, but then a couple of the books I've read lately are talking about the like medieval history of some of mm-hmm. these, some of these traditions that we cite, like things like May Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty different from what we think. Like it's, it's not like there was this whole line of ancient pagan tradition that just survived the whole time. Like things grew and changed. And one book that was really influential to me, um, I always mess up the title. It's either magic of our own making or history of our own making. I will, I'll get you the correct title. Um, But it's by a historian who is also a self-identified witch. And she goes through a ton of the history of these customs, but comes from the angle of if these things are new and we, you know, actually got it from this 18th century thing, or it got made up when Wicca was created, or it got made up in the 90s, if it works for us, then it works for us. Right. Like part of her point was it, um, it doesn't have to be ancient to have legitimacy. Mm-hmm. And I just love that. And one of the poems in this book, which I think is titled in bulk came after I read that, um, and talks about like how we think of this, this ancient pagan way, but 
so often we're reading it in this modern time on our computers. It's totally different and may not even be fully connected. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're allowed to make these new traditions. Yeah. I just love that idea. Yeah. I, same. Like I, um, I always say like, I don't care if it's personal notes. just let me know. I mean, don't tell me it's, you know, your great, great thousand great grandmother's recipe when you made it up. Like, that's fine. I don't care if you made it up. Um, I, I mean, I think it's interesting to know where things come from. And I love, like, I, I mean, I love the etymology of words and it's the same kind of thing. It's like, where did this, where did, where do the pieces connect? And they don't have to be unbroken chain. And like you said, they're going to get remixed and reinterpreted as we change, as we modernize and all those things change. But I think one of the things I've been thinking about this a lot and what I've been reading for the podcast and just like for my research for this thing I'm writing is that um, for to stand on the hill that things have to be ancient to be meaningful robs us of agency as witches to make things our own. And I, I will stand on the hill. I don't know if I'm ready to die on it, but I will definitely stand on it. (laughs) That's a start. Yeah. Like, I just think it robs us of agency in our own practice to say, I have to do it this way or it's not right. Yeah, it does. I mean, even with tarot, so much of it is so much more recent than, than we thought. Like the Rider Waite Smith deck mm-hmm. was in what mid like early 1900s, mm-hmm. but yeah. then so many people will say tarot is an ancient practice and whatever divination yeah yes but you know so much of of tarot is new and that doesn't make it any less Mm -hmm. of a tool right or any less fun and it's also good for poetry because I've actually gone to workshops where um as like a generative writing practice we'll pull tarot cards and have to Mm -hmm. write something based off of what we see there so it's so many of these new and old divinatory practices are amazing for getting the creative juices going too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do love like pulling a card. Like even when I get stuck, I have found, so I'm, I'm wearing a nonfiction piece right now, which is the first like really long nonfiction piece I've worked on. And I find it helpful, even if I get stuck doing that, just to like shake something loose in my brain to just go, okay, maybe just take a different perspective on it from, you know, whatever the card suggests, whether that's something in the actual, you know, accepted meaning or something I see, like that's been really helpful for that. Yeah, definitely shakes, shakes things up, but also I feel like it, it tells you what's already there a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of how I explain it to people who are, I don't even want to say tarot skeptics because I don't know what's real and what's not, but you know, you know what I mean? They're Mm -hmm. the ones who say like, why even bother to me? It's like flipping a coin when you're deciding between two different things and knowing that how you feel when the coin flips is going to tell you what you actually wanted. Yes. My dad always used to say that if you're stuck, just flip a coin and you'll know as soon as it is in the air, what you really want to do. Yeah. Yep. So even, I mean, Tarot is more complicated than flipping a coin, but just looking at a spread and thinking, hmm, I think I know what this is saying to me is, can just honestly be you thinking, ooh, 
I think this is how it is. And I maybe didn't want to think about it this way before. Yeah. It's like, oh, they might, there might be a point there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do love that, that, you know, like you said, whether tarot is spirit inspired or it's me talking to my own self, like it can get spicy either way. However you, however you look at it, it can get spicy. I love the idea of it getting spicy. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what it feels like. But there was definitely, there was a time when I was in high school and I had a deck that had actually been, I had taken it from my dad, oddly enough. Mm -hmm. Um, I got my first tarot deck just uh, rooting through my dad's bookshelf. Um, And I had a boyfriend at the time that we're like, it it just wasn't working. It was not going to work. And I did tarot readings like, and I kept doing them and the same exact card kept coming up. And then of course me being an upset teenager would be like, "Mm, maybe I have to do it one more time to be sure. Shuffle, do it again, same card. (laughs) And that happened like three times in a row. I was like, all right, I get it. I get it. Like, okay. I I can't argue with that. Yeah. That's us. But yeah, no, I, I do love that tarot has some sass. Um, but we, we try to keep it to about an hour, even though I'm kind of bad about that. But I wanted, before we get to our game of chance question, I wanted to give okay. you a chance to kind of let people know where to find you, plug anything you have coming up. This will come out um, mid-September. So if you've got something on the horizon that you want to let folks know about. And uh, we'll do that. And then I'll ask you our game of chance question. All right. So you can find me on Instagram at busy underscore witch. And on this account, I share my art, uh, talk about my poetry. And I am also in the process of launching a um, consulting service for witchy businesses uh, because that's my day job, but I'm always a witch. So I am going to, uh, make content around and plans for witchy businesses that need a little help when it comes to getting organized, when it comes to their marketing, managing their projects. Um, and it's something that's been a long time coming. Uh, and that I've had the, I've had the handle busy witch for a long time, but then especially when it comes to managing witchy projects, it really fits. So it worked. Um, and then otherwise I'll be posting there about, any poetry that gets published while I work on this bigger project, it's probably going to hopefully fingers crossed be some (laughs) one-offs here and there. Um, but that's where you can find me for updates. Awesome. Cool. And we'll make sure all that goes in the show notes for people. And if I remember, I'll also put some links to some of the books we talked about because I always like that when people do that and to find them. So, um, so our last question is, um, now that you live in the real South, I mean, people wouldn't, uh, it, South Florida is kind of like Northern Kentucky. Is it really the South? Um. <laughs> it's like uh, North Cuba. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. It may be southerly located, but it isn't Southern culture, right? Mm-hmm. But I always think, um, you know, part of this question, it was like the things we're not supposed to talk about in polite company, you know, like, so I will roll a die. And depending on what number I roll, you'll get a question about death, sex, religion, politics, or money. And if I roll a six, you get to pick which one you want. Um, there are no rules to the game. So if I roll something and you don't want to answer that, you can say pass. Okay. 
before politics. Oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> interesting after we just brought up Florida. Yeah, I was like, oh, you're in Florida. Uh, no, <laughs> but I do kind of want to, like, I think I've asked a lot of people, like, what political duties do witches have? But I want to ask you if you think poets have political duties. And if so, what are they? Oh, I could research and write a book about this. But yes, <laughs> I, I definitely think, I mean, I think personally that everyone has political duties. When everybody, whenever anybody says to me, I'm not interested in politics, I always say that's nice, but politics is interested in you. Mm-hmm. So, um, but for poets specifically, there's just, it's just such a good outlet to succinctly say uh, your feelings about what's going on and speak about justice. I mean, we have, besides uh, some recent inaugurations, we've had inaugural poets for many, many years. And there's a reason for that. It's succinctly speaking to issues at hand that affect a lot of people. And so for poets, I, I mean, it's boring, but like really just with everybody being politically involved, voting, um, going to your local events, being part of a community, I find is really important because the more I got involved with local poets, just about poetry, the more I found out about my local community, just not only the people, but politics wise and got connected to political events or you know, voting issues that I otherwise would not have heard of simply because I'm talking to other creative people that happen to be affected by the local politics of my area. Um, So just to summarize, uh, the same boring responsibilities that everybody else has politically, poets have, but also the more creative ones of speaking out against the powers that be that are, you know, especially in Florida, not making things very easy for the marginalized communities that make up creative communities and witchy communities. Um, And honestly, another one is just continuing to be a place for joy and expression because going back again to your question of why write, why not? We're here. We might as well do it. We might as well express. And if we get to the point where, you know, we're not expressing or we're not joyous, then something is bad. Something is, you know, keeping us down politically and we have to fight to express. We have to fight to be joyous and to make connections in our community that will let us have a big impact. I like that. Yeah. No, and I fully agree hundred percent. And I think, I think what you said about local is so important because I think, you know, there is this idea that who's president is the most important thing. And I'm like, mm, who sits on your school board? Who's on your county commission? Those are the people who touch your life directly in a way that, you know, the president who's president doesn't. <laughs> so yeah, important stuff. Awesome. Kira, thank you so much for being on. This has been such a great conversation. It's just so nice to talk about poetry and, and that kind of stuff too. And, and 
in our, I guess, the niche of the niche of witchcraft and poetry. (laughs) Yes, the niche of the niche. I love it. Awesome. Well, yeah. So when this next book is out, let's, let's do this again. Yes. (laughs) I love your confidence. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're just going to put that out there for you that it's going to, it's all going to come together. That's right. That's right. (laughs) That's what witches do, right? That's what we do. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Witch Lit is a production of Thousand Bolt Press and is edited by Julian Rashke. Our intro music is Cosmic Glow by Andrew Kay, and our outro music is Voices by Alexander Shanekar. Transcripts and all our previous episodes are available at witchlitpod.com, and you can follow us on Instagram at witchlitpod. Please help other witches find us by leaving a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to and reading Witchlet.